And now, the Andy Greenwald Podcast. Andy, Andy. Network. My name is Andy Greenwald. It is a beautiful sunny day here in New York City, and I am thrilled to have the guest that I do here in our studio. She is the lead singer of the Scottish Trio Churches, who have a fantastic new album, Every Open Eye, coming out September 25th on Glass Note Records. Lauren Mayberry, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me in this lovely, lovely studio with these nice seats. I know. The chairs, I, you <laughs> mentioned I them earlier. Ahead. I want you to be comfortable. I want to get... I feel ready. Feel free to slouch. It's fine. Oh, no one will okay. judge you on your posture. Um, my producer, right before we started, said that um, I always say that I'm very excited about the guest that's here. But so I should so probably come up with something enough. better because I'm legitimately really excited to have you here. Okay, well that's good. I, I'm Thank such you. a big fan. Uh, I have a lot of things I would like to talk to you about. Uh, the new album, certainly, every open eye. Um, but I also want to talk to you about um, the length and breadth of your career and pre bones of what you believe because I'm very fascinated by this story. Let me begin with a personal anecdote, if I may. Please. Um, I first heard lies, like many people did. Um, I think you posted it on a blog a few years ago, and it started yeah. to go around. Neon, neon gold, I think. A neon yeah. gold. Um, and then there was a clip of you performing it on YouTube. Um, and I was like, this is a great song. A lot of people were talking about it. But you hear a lot of good songs. Then you released Mother we Sh- The Mother That We Share. And I was like, this is a better song. Wow, this is... Th- <laughs> and then you never stopped releasing good songs. And I feel Aww, like this was unprecedented and kind of crazy because the songs that you kept releasing just kept getting better and more and more complicated, but more and more hooks, better choruses. And I felt like this was something that is not often done. So I'd love to know how... Let, let's go back to this. All of you were in other bands in Glasgow before. Yes. When you finally... The three of you, you, Ian and Martin, got together... Was it the desire to make the best possible song that sparked something? Because it does seem like your songs are constructed so artfully that they go from very good verse to very good bridge to even better chorus in a way that is so exhilarating as a music fan to listen to. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, I guess we're very lucky that Ian and Martin have production backgrounds. Right. So they are very experienced in all the kinds of technology stuff that I am not. But... um, I think also because we'd all spent so much time making other music, but it, wanting to make something that wasn't so deliberately obtuse in some yes. ways. Like, by the time we found other people who seemed like they were on that same page, it was quite exciting and refreshing to just be able to, like, fore- foreground melody and not feel like you had to try and make everything a bit weird and a bit messed up. And if, like, melody was no longer a dirty word or something. Yes. And I think that was quite... Exciting, and we always try and tread the line between. We have quite strong cheese radars, so we're quite strict on ourselves about that stuff. We're like, mm, you never want anything to be too, too shiny and too clean. Right. But I think the balancing of the light and the dark is something that we try try and do quite carefully. Is that when arguments do happen in the studio when when that line gets blurry? Um, occasionally, you never say the word cheesy to another person because no. that would be hurtful and offensive. You're not going to be like, I don't know, and then I think that's a bit cheesy because that's really hurtful to their their artistic stuff but uh, their yeah spirit, I, think, their soul, yeah. I think so because I guess we never want anything to sound too polished and too quantized because I guess it does have pop elements but it does have kind of dance elements as well and we don't want things to be too like computer generated right. and it wants we want it to feel like it has a kind of human human element in it as well was melody a dirty word do you think in terms of other bands you'd been in or, or the scene in general um I think it was more like things were conflicting so other bands I've played in, I think I was always in charge of writing the lyrics and the vocal melodies, but then sometimes that's difficult to get to sit properly if there's somebody who wants to 
play drums in a certain way or, you know, if everyone's trying to play everything all at once, right. there's not really space for things to breathe properly. And I guess figuring out what the what you all want the focus to be and agreeing on that is a good thing. And I guess we always kind of talk about how we want the songwriting to come first and foremost, like writing a good song, and then how do you dress that song? How do you put all these things together? And so is that so? In terms of your songwriting, is it done in what I mean? I was about to say a traditional way, but I don't write songs, so I don't really <laughs> know what a traditional way would be. But is it that the song is you come in with a vocal melody, and then the 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 the, the sonic world of the song is built around that or do one of the guys have oh here's a loop I have and maybe this could be something and maybe this could be something else normally it will start with like the instrumental stuff and we'll work up a kind of nonsense vocal at the same time so the bare bones of the song are coming together all at the same time and then then I'll go away and write lyrics and come back and once we have the rough set of lyrics and the rough instrumentation then I think it's easier for Ian and Martin to think okay what she's saying with the lyrics and how will that relate to the sounds and right. if the lyrics are a little bit more hopeful, which sometimes happens. It does happen. Rarely, but it's there. They're there. Uh, then we can afford to make things a little weirder and vice versa. Because I guess you don't ever want, we don't ever want it to come on the radio and people not to know that it's us because it sounds too too engineered and too polished right. and too shiny. So. But you want it to come on the radio, which is a wonderful well, I thing. I, wouldn't you? I'm not against the idea. But, <laughs> no, it's a good idea. Um, yeah, I think um, Ian and Doc especially have always said that they got to a point where they were enjoying the music that they were writing but they didn't necessarily enjoy the experience of it anymore yeah. they were like it's not it wasn't didn't feel rewarding to them to be deliberately burying things and then playing shows to a certain small number of people who was like kind of connects with them but it's not as kind of engaging as they would have hoped yes. so i think some people kind of view the whole oh well, i went pop that people went pop as like a compromise yeah. but i suppose for us it's more refreshing and easier to stand by what we're doing because we were like we just didn't want to it didn't feel right to keep trying to write so super left field all the time yeah no i think it's it's cleaner the emotions are cleaner there's there can be joy there can be sadness there can be anything in between but it's presented in a way it's not what you were referring to this idea of sort of covering it hiding it burying it a little bit in the mix um the the town where you come from glasgow is one of my favorite cities in the world and many of my favorite bands have come from glasgow but i would mark them especially the bands um, like when I was in college, like late 90s, um, there was a certain shambling aesthetic to some of them, I would say. A modesty, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, things, I'm thinking about, you know, of course, like Bell and Sebastian refusing to be photographed for five years. Um, fans Is that like, why they always put women on the front of their Yeah, they, well, they wouldn't. Is I that why? I, well. She said suspiciously. It did help later, I'm sure, <laughs> otherwise. But they also, you know, pretended they sent, like, their publicist in turn to do the interview with the enemy in 1995 or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, very punk rock for and Sebastian, but a band like them or, you know, or Arab Strap or the Delgados bands who I love very much, but never, I, whether they didn't want to or whether the marketplace didn't allow it, didn't go to that next level. And I wondered, is there something inherent to the Glasgow scene that, that looks down on pop uh, aspirations? Um, I'm not really sure. I guess it's a little different for me than it is for Ian and Doc, because um, there isn't a huge age, age difference, but I am slightly younger than them, right. so they've been kind of around that scene. Oh, right, and even an aerogram, you know, a yeah. band like that, which I enjoyed very much, but yeah, I like, but I like Feel churches. I like churches more because yeah. I like the songs. You know, I think there's a there's a there's a ambition in them that I find really inspiring when I'm listening to. Well, well, I think I suppose for Ian and Doc, maybe it was more because they'd been 
doing that circuit for so long in different yeah. bands and different projects, there was maybe expectations of certain kind of music they should be making or certain kinds of things they should yeah. be doing. But I suppose for me, I just kind of was looping around the unsigned band circuit for ages, so nobody knew enough about me to be like, I can't believe she's completely changed her... What a sellout. Her, yeah, they were like, <laughs> oh, didn't know she existed until two minutes ago. So, right. yeah, but then I suppose the concept of sellout to me is an interesting one because... I love a lot of music from the 90s and I've read a lot of things about that scene and that idea and that mentality but I guess to me the idea of selling out is where you're compromising your ethics and your morals yes. in order to make money and be successful and I don't feel like I've we've ever done that and sometimes I feel bad for being such a killjoy and being like no, 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 no to things all the time but I guess I kind of feel like we're really lucky to be doing this and I don't know how we got here other than like a certain amount of hard work and a certain amount of like good timing mm -hmm. that what we were making connected with people so then that allowed us to then work a bit more and then it just kind of snowballed but I guess if you were doing things that you made you very uncomfortable in order to get to where you're going right. then that's fine well not fine but that's your choice that's but your choice it's I don't different. feel like that's a choice we've ever made so what sort of things when you're saying no to these things what sort of things <sighs> obviously not <laughs> mid-grade podcasts or sports websites but other than mm. those things um, well I guess, especially at the beginning, when people didn't know about the band, um, because, possibly because of the kind of music that we make or because there's a girl at the front, there was a lot of expectations that we would go to photo shoots and people would be surprised that Ian and Martin were there or right. people would refer to churches as a person or something like that. And it's just assumed... Ms. Churches. Well, I was like, thank you, it would be Ms. Yes. <laughs> L-O-B-M lit at the end. Um, <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, just strange assumptions that are made because of that and... I guess part of it was like thinking about what stuff are we ready for so there's things that we probably are more comfortable with now that we weren't comfortable with then mm -hmm. but then also I guess it was about kind of trying to protect our idea of what the project was and try and get to do things on our own terms and we've been really lucky that everybody we've worked with has always supported that there was never any well you're just going to go and have to do you're going to have to go and do the certain like solo shoot and you're going to have to do all these things and you know you'll have to be, talk to GQ and all that. Now, there's nothing wrong with GQ, but I always find it funny whenever certain men's magazines contact us. I'm like, but there's men in the band. Yeah. You could talk to the men in the band yeah. about men's issues, but they're always, I'm like, if we all go, that's not as bad. But then when there's specifically like, girl from band comes to talk, I'm like, that's a weird vibe. You know? Yeah. And I guess at the start, I was like, oh, maybe I'm being overly paranoid. Maybe I'm being overly cynical. Maybe this isn't how this is going to roll out. But then as things started to happen, I was like, some of that is true. My paranoia isn't completely. Unfounded. Your skepticism so. about the, the worst tendencies yes. of the industry and Oof. about the media yes. complex. and Well, I guess I was like, we want to get taken... To, everyone wants to get taken seriously for what they do, but I was like, I want people to know about our band for the right reasons, and that should be because hopefully we're releasing new music, good music, and we're touring and we're working hard. It shouldn't be because people are like, oh, I saw that, I saw that girl was advertising that lipstick. And that's, you know, if people right. want to do that, it's totally fine, but it's not right for us at this time. It wasn't right for us then. So I guess now it's maybe a little bit easier because we've established the ideology of the band a little bit more. Yeah. So we kind of get to get to operate off that kind of platform, which is nice. It's something I, when I talk to people in all different fields, um, you know, whether they're actors, directors, writers, or musicians, I think the, the, the knowledge that the secret key to everything, certainly success and certainly self uh, certainly just happiness, is you have to do the work. That's the only part you can control, and you do the best work you can, and then what's come at you, what, what comes at you because of it is comes as it may. Um, 
you, you talked about how the guys in the band, they're a little bit older. They had had some experience on the merry-go-round of whatever it is. Yes. I'm curious your entry into it and also how you gained that perspective. Because I, I know that you sang in some other bands and you were involved in the... In the out, how did you describe it? The, uh, the I, you know, the unsigned band loop. The loop where you outside. Just, you can only do a certain number of venues in Glasgow, right. and you can't book any shows anywhere outside the UK. Right. So you were there in that yep. feedback loop. I'm in there. Yeah. Um, the never-ending circle, if you will. Mm. Um, see, ah, see, see what there's I'm a There's a reference. It's an album reference. Yeah, I've listened to it. Um, but was being a singer in a band your professional goal? Um, when you left university, because I, I'm, am I correct? You were, you did a law degree. I did. I did a four-year law degree and then a master's in journalism, um, which I think my end goal. I figured out after like one year of doing the law thing, I was like, I don't think I can actually do do this. Right. A lot of people are a lot more intelligent than me, and also a lot of it's very depressing. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so towards the end of the degree, you can start to choose more what you're specialising in. So, mm-hmm. um, I was kind of doing like uh, human human rights law and international law and stuff like that when then I thought I would combine that with the journalism stuff if I did multimedia journalism and then hopefully get into documentary and stuff like that mm-hmm. so when churches started getting a little busier um, I was working as a production assistant so then I had to stop that because it's quite annoying to people when they're like can you work this shoot can you do this can you do that I'm like no no I can't no because I'm always doing things sorry no I have uh, to go um, to London and perform in front of yeah, well, people. I just kept taking holidays, and then I got to the end, yeah. and they were like, you can't take holidays from a freelance job. Stop doing this. I'm like, yeah, I'm not making any money, am I? But, um, yeah, I guess music's something I've done since I was in my teens, and I've always been in bands, but Ian and Martin went to university to study music, mm-hmm. and I guess it was always something they knew that they wanted to do in whatever form, whereas I guess for me, I would never thought... I haven't really been professionally trained to do any of it, so I never thought that it was a realistic end goal you know right. I guess it was just something that I was like I really enjoyed doing this and I'll work hard at it and see see what happens um, and I suppose it's funny when you look back on like the choices you've made that have led you to where you are kind of thing it's quite interesting because um, I met Ian he recorded an EP for my old band Blue Sky mm-hmm. Archives and I guess we were like okay this is the last EP we'll do you know we'll try it if it goes well that's fine if it doesn't go well then we'll see but you know it's kind of crunch time for making a decision and then we made that EP with Ian, and he had mentioned that he was starting an electronic project with his friend, and did I want to come and do some backing vocals for that? And I was like, yes, that sounds nice to meet new people, try new things. That didn't break, like, the rock code, did it? Because he was producing the one, and well, he was I, like, well, well, I'm going to take this. And I was like, from my point of view, I told the other guys and asked them about it, and they were like, yeah, do what you want, because they're really lovely guys, and we're also friends, so it's fine. There's no tawdry breakup story? No. I'm not going to get that out of you? They're they're really, really nice. Uh, yeah, after like two years of not being able to practice, they were like, I think you should probably just accept that you, <laughs> you need to quit the band. I was like, Did you keep no. putting them off? Did you keep well, saying? I was like, I'll come back, I'll come back, I'll come back. Oh, but so then, nice. Yeah, like we would go to the pub. We always go to catch up and go to the pub when I get home and stuff, and they're really supportive of everything. And if they were any less wonderful humans, then I'm sure they could have said terrible things about me. But um, yeah, I suppose it's a little sneaky of Ian. That he was like, oh, that's good. I'm just going to take <laughs> take that one. <laughs> I'm going to take the part I like. I'm going to take this one, put it in my pocket. Yeah. And... But, uh, yeah, I suppose, it, yeah, it was interesting. I guess I was like, oh, well, I know, I didn't know Ian and Martin, but I knew of them from other stuff they'd done. Yeah. And Martin used to play session in a band called Twilight Sad. Oh, yeah, of course. And uh, I'd seen them a lot and knew about them. So I was like, oh, try new things, meet new people, give it a go. Never really done that much electronic music. So we'll see. And I think it went all right. It I seems to have gone okay. Well. I mean, I think you made the right choice. <laughs> when you good. met with them for the first time, did they have 
um, bones of songs? Did they have what when you walked in? What did what did they show you or share with you, and what did they ask of you? They had some pre-existing demos that they had written when it was just them as a two-piece, with the idea being that Martin would be the lead vocalist. Um, so I would say it's similar to the Church's sound, but it's probably a bit more deliberately nostalgic, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it's written for a different vocalist, so the tone and the timbre was kind of different. And then I wasn't in the room for this, but I like I like the story of it because it makes me feel nice. <laughs> but... Uh, Doc always says that they were working on a tune after I'd gone away and I'd done like a vocal double with him and then he muted his own vocal and then he was like, that's our band, there we go. So then we had a conversation in the pub about it and they were like, do you want to actually start writing things? And because I was like, that's very interesting, but I guess being in a band takes a lot of work, takes a lot of effort. Like, let me tell you guys something, I'm a production assistant. Well, uh... (laughs) Well, I guess I was like, if I'm going to do it, I would like to be involved in it in an equal way just because of the kind the way that I've made music and mm-hmm. stuff previously and uh, in hindsight that was a good idea too because imagine we got to this stage and I was like I'm getting 10% that was ridiculous <laughs> that was like a CNC music factory situation uh, mm. but no they were really uh, open to it and I guess they were like it's that is quite a lot of trust to put in someone when you don't know them so yeah it was exciting to kind of then start writing things and trying to put everyone's personalities into what we were making and see what we came up with. So. And it's probably good that in those early days you're not thinking, I hope I get along with these people because I'm going to be spending the next however many years in small spaces with them traveling yeah. the world. I think that we lucked out on that one because you hear horror stories of... Yeah. And there are times where everyone gets on everyone's nerves. Like It's just the way it is. You spend so much time together, more time than you spend with your family or your partner or anything, and you're literally sleeping in bunk beds above each other. Yeah. So you learn so much about people's tics and their habits. And Those are polite words, yes. Yes. But I don't know. I think it's about like listening to people and trying to be thoughtful, even when you really feel like you don't want to be thoughtful. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's a testament to, hopefully, to everyone's kindness or whatever that we're all still getting on and talking to each other. You, you mentioned that the, the, the initial tracks might have been a little bit more nostalgic. Um, did you what 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 was your music growing up? What was your formative music as a teenager? What, it, I'm assuming it wasn't the same synth pop that maybe those early demos were nostalgic for. Yeah, I guess the nice thing about the three of us is that we all have bands that we overlap on, yeah. but there's definitely differences between what each of us listens to. Like Martin's a lot more learned about hip hop and grime and things like that and I think you can hear a lot of that in the rhythm production yes and um, Ian is kind of I would say he's got more of a rock background that earlier on he had a very long conversation with somebody at a radio station about Deep Purple and I was like mm-hmm. wow okay. he was like is Deep Purple Deep Purple without these two members and then the other guy was is, like is, is it only shallow purple I mean these I are the questions like, I, don't we need to... this, I don't know so um, yeah I guess I'm probably I'm 27, almost 28, so I think I'm probably a, definitely a product of my time. Um, so my teenage teenage bands were definitely things like Jimmy Eat World and Death Cab for Cutie and Bright Eyes and things like that. And somebody said to me in an interview once, they were like, basically, Church is just emo with synths in it. And I was like, they're onto us. Well, they figured it out. As the person who wrote the book about emo, <laughs> oh, maybe literally. that's why I literally, oh, literally wrote a book about emo and love synth pop. Ah. So I was like, oh God, now you've just fixed me. <laughs> that's, that's why it's so good. Um, no, but that's actually one of the things that's so remarkable about the music, and I think you guys keyed in on it early on, clearly judging by the songs that came out in those first sessions, which is there's the there's the you know, the the synths and the clatter and the bombast often of the music, but then your voice is very pure in the mix. And the it's the 
you know, it's a, a collision between two extremes that actually works very well. I mean, if you, if you were performing towards the music or if the music was coming down to meet your voice, I think it would be quite a different thing. Well, I think um, Ian and Doc have always said that it was very fun for them to start producing my voice because I suppose most of the time when they've worked, they've worked with male vocalists and... Uh, I suppose just the pitch of it and where it sits in the mm-hmm. mix, it just it cuts through in cer- at certain frequencies a bit better. And also I like the idea that sonically my voice is quite clean and quite pure, but then you don't necessarily have to have lyrics that match up to that. Yes. And I like that kind of challenging of expectations. And also the idea that I didn't really change the way I wrote in order to write pop music. Yes. So I didn't think, oh, I should write pop lyrics now, because what is that really? And... I guess for us it's always important that what we're making feels authentic to us so mm-hmm. that we can deliver it authentically. And hopefully that's what something people like about the band is that it feels like a genuine emotion. Yes. I hope. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, then someone's like, she just likes emo. Yeah, well, now they, they probably oh, just stopped listening at that point anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, okay, we can talk about Jimmy World Off Air, but mm. um, because those were pop songs too. Totally. Uh, totally. I mean, Kelly, Kelly Clarkson got away with... Uh, Quite the yes, she did. Mm. Uh, well, that worked out for her and for Max. But that's that's Max Martin being a genius, you know, because he hears what one thing and he's like, okay, I hear that. But what if I made it like this? What yeah. if I just tuned it this way towards the radio more and it becomes which is a skill. It's an in incredible skill. Kind of taking from that toolbox and making the ultimate Terminator of it or whatever. <laughs> exactly. But if you're the person whose toolbox but that was, I can imagine you'd be a little feeling a little pilfered, a little miffed. Little but, Swedish fingerprints on everything that you yes. thought was yours, but yes. no. But you guys, uh, what I'm so struck by constantly is, I, I don't want to make it sound, uh, you know, Machiavellian and Swedish, <laughs> but the songs feel to me, you know, you guys write great bridges, and I feel like people don't, not many bands take the time to do that anymore. There's this feeling of drama and escalation in a lot of the songs, and then release, and then release, you know, and then build up, and then let us down, and and I feel like those are things that come from obviously a good sense of communication between the three of you, but also a sense of the bigger picture that you have ma- of crafting a song, not just one particular emotion within the song. I hope so. I think we've talked a lot between ourselves about how much we all enjoyed uh, like film scores from certain films mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s, and I guess things like the Nightmare on Elm Street music and stuff like that, because it's portraying an emotion, but it's not always at like going at 100 all the time. Yeah. Like the Sometimes taking something out is as important as putting it in, Yes, I think. Um, and also, I think it's been really refreshing in this band, especially to have the the song itself be paramount. Like your voice isn't the song isn't a vehicle for your voice. Your mm-hmm. voice is a vehicle for the song, kind of thing. Like that, like flipping that on its head a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a really helpful like compromise goal to have for all of us. But it does get confusing when you're sometimes we're writing the song we haven't finished it yet and we're yeah. trying to def- refer to certain bits I'm like well the bridge but no it's not bridge but well the chorus pre-chorus chorus the chorus one and then chorus hype and then chorus hype two uh, and then see. it's like oh, we're just going to need to like like circle it and be just, I, I sometimes I, I, I honestly even listening to the new album I was like they must have like I don't know if you watch the show Homeland but like oh. Carrie Matheson crazy She's person wall <laughs> like I feel like you guys must have that where it's like okay we're going to move this chorus here and no no we're going to put this here and then the beat's going to drop here and it's like, voila, you know, there it, it is. It's, it's perfect. Um, well, sometimes, I guess, when things are happening in the studio, um, Martin, especially, like, if he thinks of something, he thinks of it, like, then, and he gets, like, he's like, somebody, record, record this, record this. Yeah. And you're, like, trying to, like, follow him, like, running around with a little phone trying to <laughs> Just record Just trying to get the magic. Doing. But, um, yeah, I think it, it's nice to, especially the way we work, we don't pay 
a producer and things. So when we're writing, we're recording and demo demoing at the same time. So it's easy enough for us to go into our own work and be like, mm, maybe we'll put this here and maybe we should meet that and take that out. It's a lot more free flowing because there's no us. clock. It's yeah, not. you're not like okay, we've got we're gonna write for however many months and then you've got one month in the studio. Yeah. You're gonna do 15 hour days to get it done. Yeah, and I guess that wouldn't feel that productive. Like, I've definitely noticed, even if it's in an afternoon, I'm like, okay, I need to re-record that bit, and I don't have a lyric for it, I can sit and bang my head against the wall for, like, four hours and not get anything. And then, on the way home, I go to the supermarket, and I'm like, oh, there it is. Yeah, it was cabbages the whole but time. That's what the song should have been about. It should have been about this. But sometimes you can't see it because you're looking at it so hard. Oh, and you're trying, yeah, you can't make that muscle So, But you work. don't necessarily get that luxury if you're on an intense deadline. So, I think working this way has been really fruitful for us. I also can tell you guys' sense of songcraft in the really amazing covers that you've done over the last few years. Um, Eat. You seem to put a lot of thought into these covers. A lot of, I don't know if it takes a lot of work to do these performances, but, you know, I, probably my most listened to song last year was your cover of the Arctic Monkeys. Uh, ah, do I want to know? It's, it's a beautiful version of a song, and I, I feel like it's the best kind of cover because you went into a song that is a good song and you extracted something that maybe even the people who wrote it didn't know was there. There's a different song hiding in that song that pays tribute to it, but is its own thing entirely. Well, I think Alex Turner is an incredible lyricist. Yes, he is. And I think when you listen, like, you can always tell he's written it when you listen to it, and I think mm -hmm. that's one of the nicest things you can say about somebody. But also that makes it more fun for you when you're going in and change, trying to change the interpretation of it. If, it. if there's a great set of lyrics, it's easier. So we've done a couple of covers of things where I've been like, well... Oh, Really? That's what the line is? Like when you're like, <laughs> Ruins oh. the magic. I'm like, oh, all right. Fair enough. Uh, but, uh, yeah, most of the time it's like radio stations, especially in the UK, ask you to yes. do radio covers. And sometimes you have to pick from a very specific list and sometimes you can choose whatever you want. So, um, yeah, at first we were like, oh, radio covers. Oh. But I guess after a while we were like, okay, well, if we're going to do it, we want to make it sound yeah. like us rather than just taking it and karaokeing it out. Right. And sometimes people hate that. And they're like, what have they done to the song? I'm so keyboard warriors i'm so angry ah. well but if they weren't angry about that they would have to be angry about something, something else, else so. yes and i guess i was like well you felt something didn't you that's right you, you know did. you were never like psychologists say anger is really close relation to love it keeps you connected and tied to someone yeah, they don't know it they love you guys <laughs> is the truth so, so i'm gonna next time somebody says something horrible i'm like you love me you just don't know you love me <laughs> just wait and they were uh, like she's in a cult or something it's yeah, that's oh, another thing to be angry about mm. um <laughs> yeah or um your cover of the Janelle Monet song Tightrope is a wonderful cover and yeah. I, I was really struck by that video where you performed it at the um, with the shaky hands Ooh, well, we were all so nervous it was so bad no it was a wonderful performance and she was there in the audience so this she was, was a, this was nice a pre-Grammy it was I, I forget um, exactly the specifics it was the, the Billboard Women in Music Billboard Awards. Women in Music and Awards. she was being honoured at it and they had asked if we would do a cover of her song and perform it at the yeah. awards. And Taking the Sarah were performing as well. And yes. I love Taking the Sarah, so as I, I, I was and like, you have me, you have me Taking the Sarah. Oh, really? Yeah. They seem, they seem like lovely ladies They as are well. wonderful people. Very smart, very smart girls. So, yeah, they had me at Taking the Sarah. But then we only found out a few days before that we weren't going to play just our own tune. <laughs> we were like, oh, I thought that we were just going to do that and then say... Hey, hey, everybody, it's Janelle Monáe. Yeah. They're like, no, no, they have a compare to do that. <laughs> like, someone is paid to do that. What did you think you were doing? Yeah. And then we had to learn that cover. So I remember we were in New York doing promo anyway, so yeah. we had to kind of try and write it when we were backstage at an iHeartRadio thing. Mm -hmm. So we're like, we'll do the sound check, and we'll run back, and we'll do this. And then, um, yeah, I think that was a nice, because, like, she's incredible. Like, Janelle's incredible anyway, but we can never do what she does. So yes. it's like, we need to take it and change it and... Ian is an incredible guitar player. He doesn't really get used 
to the fullest degree of his skill mm-hmm. in this band. But I think it's helpful to have... He does a bit of guitar, and it's really effective. But he used to be an absolute guitar lord. So it's nice to have that in your arsenal. That of we can course. Be like, Here he is. Here's the and lord. He can do, like, kind of blue Nile style guitar on it. But I cool. really like the way... I mean, she seemed to be so... Janelle Monáe was there. She seemed quite moved by it as well and she into it. Nice. version. And she came running up to you afterwards. And I, I loved... I just love the way that you did what you did, which is exactly as you described it. You found the part of churches within this song. Although I will say, I found there's some there's some R and B swagger on this new record. Is there? I felt like there is. Okay. I specifically. If only I'd had it then when I had to do the. <laughs> what was it the yeah? So I feel like there was some pronunciation stuff where I was like, yeah, I should deliver that a little bit more like I meant it in the Janelle Money cover. Yeah, I think that's. I was fair. like, I'm a very prim British person trying to do that. It didn't really work. Probably better than the alternative, though, to be honest. And yeah, that could have come across badly. It probably, if you'd come in and done like an Atlanta mm. accent or something, that's mm. you could. I work don't on think that. that's. I don't think that's our vibe. No, generally not. Like, no. Uh, um, has I watched some footage of you guys at, at the Pitchfork Festival last week? I should say we're recording this in summer. We probably yes. won't post it until closer to the album's release, so we can't talk about all the cool things that happen in the world in Who August knows? and early September. No one knows yet. It's no. a mystery to us it's in the mis- past. But you listening to this, you know, you know the outcome of all these incredible global. Yeah, that's events. weird. I, mean, you, I hope nothing really, really bad happens. I know, and we're sounding so glib about yeah. it. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll edit this bit out. <laughs> when, when the asteroid comes, we'll edit this bit out. Good. That makes sense. Because after an asteroid like comes, people will really need our conversation Yeah. for well, comfort. Well, it's the small things, I guess. <laughs> it's the small sense of normality. It is. Uh, but so you guys performed at Pitchfork, and you performed some new songs. Um, and mm. they, I thought they sounded great, and they came over well. Um, I'm struck, as I always am, when I watch you guys perform live. I think performing live must be an intense thing to do always. Deeply terrifying. Well, yes. I want to ask you about that because everyone who performs is deeply terrified in any event. That's always the case. Even people who have been doing it for years, I know it to be true. But when I watch you guys, the boys in the band have their toys in front of them. Like, they, are, they have a layer of remove. And you are, you are out there. Which and is a little... Sometimes, yeah. It's been a learning curve. You seemed very comfortable at this performance of these new songs and so I've that is something trying hard re- so tell me about that um, well I suppose all other bands I've been in I've done vocals but I've mainly been playing other instruments so yeah. uh, when I was in my high school and university bands I did drums mainly and I did backing vocals so I would help write the melodies and then I would do the additional singing in the kind background of, kind of a Don Henley thing a little bit yes yeah I mean, yeah, no head mics. There was never any head mics. Not any yet. <laughs> That's not where yet. you were headed. Not yet. Well, you never know. But, um, yeah, so something like that, or in Blue Sky Archives, I would play keyboards. And I suppose this band has been quite different because there isn't any anything to hold on to. It's just you and your vocal. So I think becoming comfortable with the physicality of that was quite difficult for mm-hmm. a while, um, especially because a lot was happening with the band and I never feel like we did something we weren't ready for but things were constantly evolving so you would play a club venue and then it would well, it upgrade and upgrade fast. and upgrade and I guess to me I was like well I'm just going to try my hardest and I'll get to where I'm going when I get there I can't pretend to be another kind of performer because that wouldn't feel genuine it's just another thing to think about I don't think I would be able to do that so I guess it was helpful to have the time off to kind of step back and try and get a bit of perspective about things. And I think also because it felt like we were fighting a lot of the time on album one to get interpreted the way we wanted to get interpreted. There was like a lot of work and a lot of kind of batting things off all the time. Yeah. And it was weird to look back on that and then be like, okay, I feel like we did do what we set out to do and have been received even better than we'd hoped and it's gone really well. But from from my own like psychology or something, I thought I was like, well, it makes sense to try and use this time 
to get more comfortable with what that reality actually is because I think sometimes they're like oh well you know I play in a band and, and just kind of like downplay it a bit but then after a point I was like well this is my job now this is what I do this is reality for however long it lasts and do I want to feel like I'm coming out in front of it and being assertive about how I'm doing things or yeah. do I want to feel like I'm chasing it and catching up all the time um, and I know there are some people who think that I'm a terrible live performer and they're just doesn't do anything she stands there but <laughs> what do they want you to do like juggle I, <laughs> I don't know well there's been a lot of like she needs to she, just, she doesn't even smile she doesn't dance and stuff like that and I know in my like from my point of view I'm not going to do that because that doesn't feel genuine to me and just because there's a girl at the front of an electronic pop band doesn't mean there needs to be dance routines and I don't know if we're allowed to swear but you if you think that that's the case and you, do you only you're think especially that. allowed to swear in that context okay. you only think that because that's what's come before and you're deciding that that's how I should be allowed to exist in that space but I don't feel like I was fully com- comfortable in a lot of those situations in a lot of the performances so I guess I wanted to use the downtime to kind of think about like if I don't want to do it like that how do I want to do it and I want to enjoy what I'm doing more fully and I get quite bad gig anxiety yeah but I was like, okay, I need to try and figure out how to better deal with this anxiety and how to use that more effectively as, like, adrenaline for the show rather than it being, like, I need to go away for a panic vomit, like, all the time and stuff like that. Because, you know, that's just regular gig anxiety and social anxiety or whatever, but combined with the feeling of, oh, people think I'm really shit at that, people really think I'm shit at that. But, like, you can't please everybody, you know? So I was like, how yes. do I actually want to do it rather than thinking about how I don't want to do it? But this so. seems very impressive, very accurate, but also very reasonable. And I've it, been reading mindfulness books. Well, I was wondering. <laughs> that's probably a good idea. But mm-hmm. but it's something that I think has been consistent in your career, not and not just on stage. I wanted to bring up you know the piece that you wrote for the Guardian, which I thought was a tremendous piece, and you wrote Thank about you. the um, I don't even know what to put it the abuse that you have received being the lead singer, female lead singer of a band, and comments that you get online, just the casual uh, misogyny that's tossed to you while you're eating breakfast or throughout your day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really struck by a particular turn of phrase in that piece because you, you basically said, why do we accept this? Why should we have to accept this? Because I do think that there's, especially as the internet has, I'm not going to say it's evolved because I don't really think it has. No. <laughs> there's, there's, we're especially coming up against this sort of shrugging, well, it's the price you pay. You swim in the waters, the waters are dirty. That's just kind of what it is. And mm-hmm. I really appreciated that you pump the brakes on that a little bit um what has what has changed i don't know if anything's changed online because in my experience online nothing has changed <laughs> but i'm curious what has changed in your perspective on all of that since in the year and a half since you published that piece well i think the thing that i know is day to day is that the culture of the community around our band seems to be slightly different now so the idea that people come to come to meet us at a signing or come to the show and they can say to us, I really like that you guys talked about that. Or yeah, I think that that's very encouraging because I think some people were like, she should just shut up and sing and she should, you know, just do what you're supposed to be doing. But then And dance, apparently. Yes, and dance and smile all at once. Just, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess kind of feel like we're not going to be here forever. This isn't going to last forever. But you should conduct yourself in the way that you want to conduct yourself and you think is moral and right or whatever whilst you're doing it and if that filters down into the community that you're a part of then that's great and I guess the kind of don't ask don't tell policy was very strange to me because I know that it happens to women in music I know it happens to women outside music yes. I know that, women online yes and I think that Laurie Penny certainly maybe, offline she, too but mm, especially well, she online. said she was like uh, an op- an op- a woman with an opinion on the internet is a woman with a miniskirt in real life 
And you're like, mm. like the fact yeah. that you bother to you have an opinion, so it just makes you fair game or something. Yeah. Um, and you're you spend every moment in front of a computer walking past a virtual construction site. Yes, but I don't know. I guess also selfishly for me, I think now that we've kind of drawn the line in the sand about it, it's been helpful to have the like even if I am having a, a shit day and I read something like that, especially some of the more aggressive ones, it does feel awful. It makes you personally feel bad because nobody wants to have that said to them. But at that time, I'm like, well, it's helpful for me to have this idea of like the character of me, kind of. I'm like, okay, well, what would I do about that if I was if somebody came to show and asked us asked us about it? What would I do? And then I just try and follow that through and just kind of like fake it till you make it, live it, learn it. Like, be maybe you'll eventually be the tougher version of you if you project that, you know. This is all very psychologically wise, I think. Mm. I am a wise, I wise Yoda. You are a wise person. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, I, I, I know at the I'm time. I'm not wise at the time when I'm like, why? Why would you say this? Right, to when me? you're, ah. right, a few hours later. And, um, <laughs> yes, and then, then I'm like, get, I'll get you. Like, <laughs> I'll one, one of you the adults, I was like, I'll end you. Just like retweeting, screen grabbing. But then. Block, block, then block. And then block, then read a mindfulness book, go for yes. a walk. And then be like, but they're not coming from a happy place. Nobody says this if they're happy. But at that time, I'm like, why would you do this? I don't care about your personal life. You're awful human. But this is the thing. So the world that you're talking about, um, you grew up online. I mean, you grew up in time when you had Mm. email and um, instant messenger, things like that. Um, The scene that you were talking about being a fan of, the emo scene was very much predicated on this idea of personal engagement. You know, Mm. standing outside the gig and meeting your fans, connecting with them on a personal level. The, The fandom around a band being a thing, an important thing. To, to sort of sustain and engage with. Um, and in the Guardian piece, you talked about personally reading every piece of feedback on the Facebook page. I feel like this is so admirable, and I feel like it might be suicidal. Or, like, really big-headed. Well, I don't, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> even like, think so. Oh, I think you com- like that, did you? I'm <laughs> <laughs> just, like, favoriting it. Good job, Lauren. Well done, me. No. Well, I guess... Um, but I, I guess, it, is it sustainable? Because you're a very popular band now, and the, the volume of it is enormous, and it, I think it takes a personal cost. I think just being on the Internet in a tiny way can exact a real personal mm. cost. And I, I don't know yeah. if it's healthy at a certain point. Um, well, I guess as there's become more of it, it is difficult to see everything that comes in. But um, just like when I was in the cab on the way here, I was like, okay, so I'm not doing anything for this like 15 minutes. So I'll just like look through the Twitter feed and favorite some things and retweet some stuff. And you retweeted an old picture of Blue Sky Archives. I like, did. That I did. Was nice. <laughs> Supporting those guys. I look at that and I'm like, it's not a great band picture, but we all look happy. It's so. an interesting angle. Yes, I think it was somebody was standing down the bottom of a hill and we were up yeah. above it. And then I was like, it's a lot of nostril. It was. Love nostril <laughs> yeah. in that picture. I don't know how necessary that was, but we all make mistakes when we're young. Yeah. Yes, um, but yeah, I don't know. I suppose the fact that I grew up being in like street teams and being on band message boards and right. things like that, and like who, who did you street team? Um, just like local bands in okay. in Glasgow. So you would like flyer, and then you get like to go go to the meet and greet, and mm, it's really exciting. But um, and I was on the Biffy Clyro message boards, the Biffy boards. Uh huh. Um, but then stuff like that was like you would meet other people to go to shows with and it was like although the internet's dangerous it was like a safe place ish you know you're going to the gig anyway you'll meet up with people there and i think that's nice and i lived in a very rural rural area and it was hard to meet other people my age who weren't already in the small school that i went to and i think that's a very valuable thing and yeah i think i always kind of view how we approach the social networking stuff of our band as like a kind of virtual street team and yet you know Obviously, we hope we're making good music that's connecting with people, but it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like, we don't get... If you make amazing music and nobody cares about it, then you're not 
it's not going to have the same effect, I guess, yeah. in the end. And people are coming to the shows, but people are taking time to send things to their friends, and it becomes part of like the culture of their life, you know? Very much so. This is literally so the soundtrack to their life. Yeah, and it's nice to have a kind of awareness of that and a two-way respect, I think. Um, and the idea, I get, when we were having all the, the issues... Um, you know, it was. I think Ian and Martin were worried about it because they could see it all happening, but they weren't on the receiving end of it. That's right. And they obviously don't want that to happen to their friend. They don't want to have that to happen to their bandmate, but they can't change anything about it. So if they were like, maybe it would help if we got somebody to run the socials, and like maybe we just need to step away from it for a bit. And I think that would help in the short term, but it doesn't change anything ultimately. Right. And then you're essentially being bullied into not conducting yourself in the way that you want to do it because of the behavior of other people and I suppose now my skin is probably a little thicker it's only when they're like super supremely aggressive so I'm like oh should we report you to the police I'm not sure but yeah. Yeah, I just I don't know I feel proud that we didn't just hand it off to a kind of Twitter HQ kind of thing and somebody ran it for us because that doesn't feel to me the way that we want to interact with the people that care about our band no so. I think it was remarkable what, what do you think do you think about what what it is about you or your background, your upbringing, your education or experience that has given you the ability to, of course, you're going to feel it in that moment, but to then, you know, take a beat, put it forward and put forward your best self. I don't know. I guess I was very lucky that I wasn't raised by explicitly like feminist parents, but they have two daughters. They never really told us we couldn't do anything. Maybe that was giving me a like, massive like ego where I was like, I can do everything. But it was, you know, they were like, if you try hard at something and you want to work hard at it, then we'll support you doing that. And there isn't anything they ever said I could or couldn't or shouldn't do. Yeah. So it was only kind of when I started to go out into the world that I realized there are certain things that it's assumed, you know, girls don't do that or girls don't do that like that. And nothing pisses me off more than being told what I, sh- what I shouldn't do or what I can't do. Um, and I guess in the same way as it would anybody, especially when it's based on nothing other than like preconceived ideas and I don't know I guess I think a lot of people have that feeling and in my personal life and my social life I'm probably not as quite as forthright as I am in this kind of stuff but I guess well you generally don't have an audience that size in your personal yeah, life yeah and the nobody's pub, the being that be terrible that. to me in my personal life that's right so. you have good friends and you're cared Which for just generally quite nice um, but yeah I don't know and I think the whole practicing what you preach thing has been really important because I never thought we'd get to do any of the stuff that we're doing now. But I think it's always important for me to think, okay, like, listen to my gut instinct on things and think, why do I really want to do that? Why do I really not want to do that? And just things that we never thought would be a reality were, like, in-stores. Oh, we don't do in-stores. That's crazy. But stuff like when you're doing an in-store, I don't think it's fine for the record shop to make the kids buy buy the record so they can get it signed. Right. Just stupid stuff like that. If it's, like, purchase is required in order to get it, you can only have it signed if you bought it in this shop. And then I'm like, well, that feels really wrong, though, because I was like, that person is taking the time out of their day to find about this meet and greet, which doesn't happen very often, come down to the come down to the store. They might already have the record. They might yeah, have something more personal to Yeah, and I was like, then you're, you're making them spend another 20 bucks. And I understand that, you know, it's different, difficult in the time of indie record shops and all everything that's happening with that. But at the same time, I'm like, if 200 kids come into your shop and they really love the experience that you give them, they're more likely to come back than if you make them pay 20 bucks to come in here. And just certain things like that. I'm like, yeah. think about, like, teenage music fan me. Like, would would I have been hurt by that? Or would I think that was a bit unfair? Yeah. Or, and just trying to come at it from that point of view. And, you know, there's so many different things that we have to think about and so many different realities to consider. But 
just kind of trying to put yourself in that mindset and stay true to those things I think is very important. Well, I, th- I think there's two ways to be involved in the music business and have a career. I mean, it's, I think it's possible to be passive, to be swept along mm. by the things that appear to be happening to you, you know, and good fortune or opportunity. But I think it takes a different sort of mindset to be, you said mindful, I think that's a good word, to be present and to say, no, no, this is not, I'm not, this isn't a vacuum. This is my life. This is my career. This is representing me in some way. I think so. I guess I just don't want to, like, wake up in however many years and be, like, just not be able to look back on everything we did and feel like we did it the right way. Right. And stuff like, I don't know, Ian and Ian and Doc made jokes about how I'm, like, the CEO of the fans, like, I'm the president <laughs> of the fans. But, yeah. um, like, something like that, I'm like, well, we're really lucky that it's been so critically well-received up until this point, but you can't really set your watch by that happening forever. And, you know, sometimes you're really tired after the show and you want to go to bed, but you can't really just tell the people who have waited after the show to say hi that you can't be bothered today. Because that's probably like the one time that person's going to get a chance. It's the time they're they you got know, and they've yeah. invested so much in your band, and that's their that's their special memory, that's their mm-hmm. moment, you know. And you can't take that away from somebody when they've put so much into it. And um, yeah, we have a really great manager who is very accommodating of these things, and I think he kind of we have a, we all have a similar kind of ethos and moral code about those things, and I think that's very helpful because there are like industry things to consider but it's helpful to have th- somebody you really trust balancing all that up and knowing that his heart is definitely in the same place as us and yeah. we're focusing on those things I, I know I've taken up a lot of your time a, a couple more things I wanted to, to get to before I let you go um, that sounded like you're being held here against your will before <laughs> I'm actually tied to the chair yeah unfortunately this I is a cry for help yeah. <laughs> um, proof of life video in late July um <laughs> It's very nice of you to come and join me on a podcast because you yourself are a podcaster. I enjoy I your podcast very I much. Oh, do you? Yes, yeah. you have a podcast. I don't do any of the technical stuff. That's well, my friend Amanda. Well, I don't know. You, you saw Ryan out there. I don't do this. I don't even know what this is I'm talking into. I assume it helps, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not familiar with its workings. But so you have a podcast that I'm going to get the initials right. Yes. Uh, TYCI. That's the very one. Do you know how many different combinations I said to myself earlier? And one of them works just with the same words. Grammatically, it works. T Y no T I Y C works too, but it's less oh. fun to say. Mm. Maybe it's more polite. Can you can you say what this means? Is this is this a common phrase that I should um, know? I heard it kind of just in passing around bars and stuff, and I looked up on Urban Dictionary and it exists on Urban Dictionary. So I was like, oh well, <laughs> this uh, this seems like a good idea. And originally it was for like T Y C I is like a women's collective, and we yeah. have live events and radio show, podcast, uh, a blog, things like that. Um, but originally it was just a club night in a venue in Glasgow. And I was like, oh, that's a fine thing to name it. Now it's gone a little bit further. I'm like, oh, I regret that. Do you? I regret that a little. Well, and I can't change it now. I feel really bad. But You could come up with a different you know, different words that it stands for. Well, we try and think sometimes what it could, yeah. what it could mean. So we were like, take your cats indoors. That's responsible. So that's and nice. as we discussed earlier, you're a big fan. I you would love fan. it if And people... if it's like thundery outside, you should be careful with the animals. And that's right. Um, it's thoughtful. Well, yeah. But well, people should look it up for your... Yes. Maybe not on a work machine, but look not, up. Yes, not safe. But, um, yeah, I think that's all. That's really... I mainly do it with a, another girl called Amanda Stanley, and she is my kind of co-presenter and does all the technical stuff for making the podcast. But I think it's really nice because we get to talk about music that we really love, specifically, like, female musicians. Yeah. Um, but also it's nice for me, I suppose, when I'm away on tour a lot, then it's nice to be in touch with the other women that run the site, and mm-hmm. it's just kind of... A, like home co- contact and I don't there's pretty much not really a day that goes past where me and Amanda aren't texting about random 
that's been happening or TYCR related admin because we're very good at admin. Admin's um, important. Yes. Most most communication is through like she sent me a really good one the other day that's uh, Amy Poehler sitting in a seat being like <gasps> and it says the word man's playing underneath and I was like yep feel that that's about perfect. something that's yeah. happened. But yeah and I think it's nice to kind of have those something that's still related to music and still creative but separate from the band. Yeah. And just know that there's people that they're very supportive of what I do but I think you meet a lot of people who want to befriend you for not maybe the correct reasons. Yes, I'm and I sure. don't feel I don't feel like that with those ladies. Well, you meet a lot of people. You travel a lot of places. I mean, this is another thing I wanted to yes. say. You guys, you, you've mentioned a few times that it's a job, which I really appreciate. It. You guys work your jobs very hard and well. I mean, you've been you. you've done a lot of touring. We have. You did not go as, as far as I can tell. You did not take six months in Turks and Caicos between records. You have a no. new record just two years later. We did six here, weeks. In, six weeks off in Glasgow, which was sunny. <laughs> tropical sunny, Glasgow sunny winter time in Glasgow yes that's restful I'm sure um, but you were with friends but but you went right back into it this is yes an ongoing concern uh, are you excited to start this whole process again are you excited to to I think so I feel do, like do you feel different this time I think if we were in a situation where there was labels or management something saying you get this amount of time off and then you need to work now and yeah, you need to hand to. the record in by this time then that would be quite stressful but I suppose for us, we were all excited to get back in and start writing because we hadn't done it for a couple of years, and it did start as a writing project. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of agreed between ourselves that we would write until about March, April time, and then we would say to labels if we thought we would have it ready by September or November or January or whatever. Um, and they were like, will we get a bonus? Will we get like, a bonus this year? <laughs> Come on. But um, no, I think it was nice that if we felt ready, and I suppose coming back into all this stuff and starting to do promotion and stuff like that... Um, I feel like we're a little bit more prepared in a way because either it won't go as well as the last time but we'll have learned how to conduct ourselves and what to, how to do things or it will be the same as the last time or it'll be a little better and I guess you're always learning and you're always having new experiences but trying to trying to learn from your past experiences I think is helpful um, and I think we're excited like I feel like we're all very proud of what we've made and yeah. Like when we when I listen to it, not that I didn't listen to it all the time, but when I was listening to the mixes and stuff, I listened to it and I, I think it sounds like our band. Well, that's, and that's the best thing I, I can say about it. I, I saw a quote from one of the guys in the band. I'm not sure which one of them said it, but it was important that for a second album to sound like the same band. That, that one of the biggest yeah. traps people fall into is well, now. Let me show you the other thing I can do. You like this yes. thing, but forget that. Let's let me let you know. Now you can see us do this. But mm. this feels like the same band, but it does feel like a band that has been touring and writing and experiencing things for two years and it I think so and you just I suppose I just hope that we got better at what we're doing because we've done it so much like when we made the first album we all had day jobs we all had other things we were yeah. doing and being able to focus on this fully but also like I start, I took some vocal lessons as of the end of last year and that's the first time I've ever done it because I was always like oh well you know I'm in an alternative rock band I don't need vocal <laughs> lessons but even I think part of it's psychological the idea that I just feel like I know more about what I'm doing and I feel more prepared. Yeah. But also touring and playing night after night after night for two two plus years, just become much more familiar with your instrument and just better at it, I suppose. And I feel like we're just better at our instruments, so we know better how to how to use those and what to leave out when we were writing. So that, I feel that, like it's like a leaner, meaner version of the band. That's the swagger that I heard. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. There you go. Because <laughs> it's there. Because there's a there's a. There's an authority to it, you know, and I and and I yes. and I, I really really enjoy it. Um, I think it's a terrific record. 
I feel bad that we didn't get to talk about your love of cats. I feel like we should have it's decorated. Okay, I feel like room. it's well documented on the internet. It is pretty clear. So, yes. That's not we're not breaking well, news here. I like here. all animals, but uh, yeah, I think especially when we went to Japan, there was a lot of people who turned up with like cat related gifts, and I was like, oh, people get me here. That's but your then place. I was like, I was like, it was like a one time cat video on the internet, and everyone's like, she loves cats. We're gonna bring her cakes with cats on them and like cat jumpers. And so like, you Aw. should put out into the world then what what because you're about to do this whole thing again, and you probably have enough cat things. So what what <laughs> like what's your number two on your animal like. list? What what would you like? I used to have a hamster, but it's sadly now deceased. Oh, I'm so sorry. What was the well, hamster's name? Um, his name was Gilbert. That's a nice hamster. Mm-hmm. And then occasionally you give him a grape. And it was amazing. You but, know, you know that took me a moment. I'm yeah, embarrassed. It's well, it's uh, it was either going to call him that or Joshua Lyman, <laughs> but that's quite a long name for a hamster. And I was like, mm, I'm just saying that because of the color of his fur, possibly. Yeah. Um, but yes, hamsters don't live that long, so he lived a long and full life. But for a hamster, yeah, yeah, he was like a pensioner when he went. So he, apparently, he was being given grapes all the time. He was, he he had was a good like, time. He was like the Bacchus he had a multi-tiered of the thing, kingdom. and he would definitely come out for a designated time every day, at least because it's not fair to keep him in there. Right, so that's why you can't do, remember so anything. His brain's really small. He's a tiny brain. He has no idea. But no. but that's why. Let's just say again, as you said before we recorded, you probably shouldn't be inundated with live hamsters on this tour. Yes, it's not safe. Not safe for anyone. Not it's safe not for you. Friendly to the animals, but it's, it's not nice. kind. So no. maybe just a firm handshake and a you know. That's fine. A good album. If you have good job dogs that you want to bring to the meet and greet and then take them away, that's fine. They don't have to be exposed to the loud music. Then right. They can manhandle them. And then they can go away. Dogs and headphones. <laughs> they will be. They will be yes. touched by you. In a friendly way, and then they can be removed. Yes. And there's a lot of great dogs in New York. Many dogs. And I think uh, I'm starting to split my time between here and Glasgow nice. as of like November time. So I'm trying to get the get the lay of the land. A lot of good dogs. A lot of good dogs. I would also say that you, this is, you've, you're moving in the right direction because our winters here are horrific. But mm. I do think that you... You do get summertime. But we get summertime. Mm-hmm. So you're moving in the right direction. This is, yep. so I was proud of myself. Yesterday I actually did a yell on a taxi and they actually stopped. And I was like, they'll make a New Yorker out of me yet. How's your walking on the street? Because oh, that's really I apologize the, to people all the time. I think see, I need to get... I'm like, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh. We got to get that. We gotta, you, gotta, you have to walk with authority yep. and, and I'm not good at... The, the tube in Russia at all. Yeah. Uh, I thought I was Probably getting Probably you should call it the subway, though. Oh, I should. You yeah. should start. Not the tube. That's very British. That was a giveaway. That was a tell. Yeah. But, sorry, but you're not good at Russia or you don't push no, in? And well, I thought I was okay and my partner lives here and he was like, come on, we're going to run down the train and we're getting on it and then I was like, oh, sorry, oh, oh, just getting squashed by people and he literally pulled me on the train yeah. by like the, he, what he thought was the front of my jumper but was really like my jumper and my bra and my whole self. <laughs> and he was just like, come on in. And I, like, at the time I was like, oh, not romance, but really it is. That's probably the nicest, most romantic thing. And that he's like, excuse me, sir, to the man who shoved me out of the way. And I was like... <laughs> that is the most... But that's how a New Yorker shows affection. I was like, he didn't leave me behind. And he's like, you need to push more. You need to just push. And I'm like, I don't want to push. I just want everyone to wait. I am very yeah. excited to see... This is the this If is we meet direction. again in like a year or whatever, and you're just, I'm just like shouting at people. Yeah, no, you're mm. going to be incredibly rude, coarse... Gonna be good. I I hope you'll come back and <laughs> well, prove that. But to then me. I can go back to Glasgow and people are like, why is she so abrasive? Yeah, we so. can, you can never go back. It's a very polite city in my Aww. experience. So, but and also I've noticed that when there's only like two subway lines in Glasgow, there's the inner circle yeah. and the outer circle, and they go yeah. one way and they go the other way. And I was walking down the steps to the, the subway in Glasgow the other day, and I noticed that the driver was looking out and waiting for people to come down the stairs oh, to make sure that everybody who was rushing for that train got on, and I was like, you don't get that in New York City. That's so sweet. You don't. Like, they shut it on your face they, as you're getting Aggressively. <laughs> and they were like, your fault. You didn't get here in time. It'll be another one in a minute. It's yeah. the nature of trains. See ya. And I'm like, oh. So I can't, I'm not, yeah. I just accepted defeat. I'll, I'll just get you there. Like, I'll just, I'll just get the next one. Like, don't worry. No, this is, so, this is, this is going to toughen things up. It's I'm gonna excited. It's going to need like a big bow peep hook to keep. 
Calling me onto the transport. Well, you know, in Japan, and we can stop talking about public transport. Oh, and they're, they're they pushing, physically push yes. people on at rush hour. But, like, that makes no sense. Spatially, yeah. how is that going to work? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. I always sense. get, like, I think I'm too uptight for it, but when you get to a station and people are trying to get on before they let people off, I'm like, if the physics dictate, dictates that people must get off before you can get on. Why don't you just wait? Just picture a little cloud above but, your head. and Yeah, a little Eeyore cloud, and I'm like, <laughs> but, yeah, I need to... Need to toughen up a bit, but we'll make a New Yorker we'll out of you yet. I, I, I can or I'll see just it. take like two hours longer. Than <laughs> you'll never get shit. anywhere, and you'll still I'll be like, a nice well, person. I'm not going to be able to make that promo eleven though. Like, <laughs> that's, I'm not sure. It's like we need to push it back. That's a good point. You have a show tonight in Williamsburg, which is at I least do. two trains away. Yeah, I need to get going. I'm looking forward to it, but you have only you know probably five hours to go on, so we should get. I'm gonna get my here. elbows out so I can get get on that G train. All right, toughen up. You get you on the train. Uh, Lauren Mayberry, <laughs> a Church's new album, Every Open Eye, is out September 25th on Glass Note. It is a wonderful album. It's a wonderful pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. Yay. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.